0: So we're in the book of Proverbs today, looking at various Proverbs, and looking at the question of uh, the power of discipline. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) So what do you have that's worse? than any of these things. So in Jesus' name, to all of us, no more excuses. God can use us to our full potential. God can use us. But how is this for a question to think about and a statement? God can use us to our full potential, but he won't be able to if you and I don't get a hold of this subject matter today. Discipline. God can overcome any hurdle we know that. He can do anything apart from overcoming a complete and utter lack of discipline. That's a question as well as a statement. How true is it? The reason I say that statement is because discipline is linked to the will. And God has decided to allow us to exercise a free will he invites us to obey him freely he invites us to bring our thinking and behavior under his will to subject our will to his for his glory through obedience so that's the question today how much does discipline play a role in us achieving all that God wants to do in and through us In our lives, the book of Proverbs has much to say about how to live a wise life, and it begins like this. We're in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. So, right at the very beginning of the book about wisdom, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, why are they there? Why do we have this book in the wisdom literature for attaining wisdom and discipline? They're right there together. For understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. That's why the wisdom literature is there. So that we can have a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Wisdom and discipline, they are going together. Discipline is what it takes to get habits. Sometimes habits just happen without much discipline, but it's because we decide through our actions to continually do something in response to a cue. And we get into a habit, and habit over time produces a character. Um, <clears throat> there's a quote here from an anonymous person. Our character, uh, well, I quote this all the time. Our a character is the sum of our habits, but this is the quote Sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. So, how do we do discipline? in this one and only life we get to live. Firstly, we need to aim high. If we think about how do we live a disciplined life with wisdom, fully to the glory of God, we need to aim high if we're going to have discipline in our lives. The text um, says, These proverbs are from Solomon, son of David, King of Israel. Now with hindsight we know he made a lot of mistakes, Solomon. But he was meant to be the wisest guy ever. So talk about a highly accredited wisdom coach. Yes? A highly accredited wisdom coach. This book of Proverbs is from the one who asked in Second Chronicles, um, God said to Solomon. Since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. So, Scripture says Solomon, up until Jesus, was the wisest man to ever live. I guess it's like. Pick someone who's amazing in your field that you're interested in. I thought of something like Kelly Slater writing a um, surfing manual after winning 12 world titles, but that doesn't mean anything to most of you. Don Bradman writing a book about batting. I'm sticking with my sporting analogies. But if you find someone who's an amazing top of the charts in their field, uh, sportsman or, or writer or politician, whatever, and you read their manifesto, you know you're aiming high. And this is what an Israelite is thinking when they're, they're reading Proverbs. They're thinking, wow, this, this guy is the wisest guy who ever lives. Um, I need to come under it. And as I do, I know I'm aiming high. In fact, um, have you ever achieved anything really special in your life without discipline? Without aiming high? No one's saying anything. But most of us, it, it takes effort to aim Up here, doesn't it? To really achieve something worthwhile. I don't know if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. I really appreciate the book. It came out a little while ago. and He he makes the argument for um, experts tend to have spent 10,000 hours in their subject. They've spent 10,000 hours in that field as a rule of thumb. They've learned the discipline of that thing, um, that effort, through disciplined practice and in the book he he makes a really interesting case for how Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had easily accrued over 10,000 hours on computer programming before their late teenage years had ended. He describes how the Beatles through their early work in Amsterdam, they played 12 hour shifts in all night bars and practiced together non-stop and they easily had 10,000 hours of playing together, they hit the world stage and they had this musical meshing that uh, was unsurpassed and the list goes on and on. But this morning, I want to ask you the question what about Christianity? Christianity, can you actually get any better at it? Is there a 10,000 hour rule for being a Christian? It's a provocative statement, Greg, and uh, I'm glad that you you say that because the majority of people, in fact, good theology would say um, you don't need to be disciplined at all to be a Christian. Why would you? Because Christianity is a gift. Do you have to be disciplined to open a gift at Christmas? Only if you don't want to tear the packaging. <clears throat> but you know, if it's just a gift, and of course, this is what we've been um given as Christianity for centuries. It's like it's a gift. You open up the, the um the entry to the Charlie in the chocolate factory heaven um Wonka's you know, heaven invite, and you go. I accepted the gift and I put the gold ticket in my back pocket and I'll see you in heaven when I get there at the end. Well, Christianity, forgiveness is absolutely a gift. We cannot earn it. But does living out and appropriating everything that the gold ticket gives us access to, does that require discipline? You bet it does. You bet it does or you're not reading your scriptures. One of the greatest falsehoods ever given to the church is you don't have to do any effort at all to be a Christian because no one cares less about holiness. No one cares less about spiritual disciplines. It's just I'm going to heaven when I die and when I sin, I say thanks for the forgiveness. That's not at all. We talked about this so many times. This is just revision. But 1 Peter 3, chapter 1, tell me if that's what Peter's saying. To the church. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Sounds like it's just purely a gift, and it is. Through these, the knowledge of His promises, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, what are we meant to do? Make every effort to add to your faith goodness by grace and To goodness, knowledge by grace, and to knowledge, self control by God's grace, and to self control, perseverance. Perseverance sounds like effort. And to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I put it to you that you can have salvation by faith in Christ, the gold ticket for heaven, put it in your back pocket, and live a life that is ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom. How do you how do we not live? an ineffective and unproductive life, Oh, we make every effort to understand the kingdom, to understand how we can live by the grace of God and through the power of the Spirit. I would put it to you this morning and myself, we will never experience fully the abundant life that is available to us without discipline, which is just another word for obedience, really. This proverb says it and the Sermon on the Mount tells us can't lead a wise, godly life without discipline. I will keep saying this till I die. I believe it's one of the most true truths you'll ever hear. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. But if you don't get this right, you'll think I'm not meant to put effort in. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn grace, but we can use the grace of God to put discipline into, rigor into the life we're living for his glory. So what does aiming high mean for you as a Christian? We're talking about aiming high and studying God's word. If you don't aim high, you think, oh, I read, I've had a pastor once tell me years ago, I was at a retreat and we never looked at God's word. And I said, just wondering, do you read the word anymore? He says, I haven't opened the Bible for two years. I read it enough. And I thought, oh, wow. I was a young man in my 20s. I thought, I don't want to become that guy. I don't want to become that guy. I want to stay in, in the Word of God. I want to keep growing in God's Word. I want to keep growing in gratitude. And I find that if I'm not disciplined, I can go off that. I can go off the boil. In being grat- uh, grateful to God and others, and I sort of get entitlement that comes up. In prayer, I think it takes discipline to stay a prayerful person. It certainly takes discipline to love others. How do you do it? In your own strength or God's strength? God's strength with some effort going to the place. Do you agree? <clears throat> we, we, we do it in, in partnership with God by his grace. I think it takes discipline to, um, to aim high, to meet regularly with the believers. It's easy not to meet with the church. So aiming high is the first one. Um, the second thing I think that, that we learn about del- um, discipline is delayed gratification delayed gratification we aim high and we learn this the power of pressing pause on what we desire what do you think in your life has that been something helpful that a godly wise life involves the discipline of delayed gratification sometimes our desires may be good for us later sometimes they won't be when the alarm goes off in the morning It's a good thing to press pause on the desire to keep sleeping. Amen? (laughs) Delayed gratification. I'll sleep later. When you're trying to lose weight, as Raj and I have been the last four months, it's uh, good to press pause on that thing you want to eat if you've decided, I'm not going to do that because I've got an aim that's high. Um, What about that high-cost purchase that you've been looking at. Sometimes it's really worthwhile pressing pause, delayed gratification. Wait, make sure it's the right thing. There's so many things we could talk about. Hebrews 12 um, says this, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, because of that delayed gratification, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it isn't that simple and clear discipline trains us physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things the training of godliness they're not just words out there are they training for godliness the effort the delayed gratification that i might embrace for the sake of being the best version of a christian i can be so let me ask you an application question. How do you go with delayed gratification when it comes to obeying the Lord? Um, some of us, I think, have what we might call misdirected discipline. Think about some of these. Misdirected disciplines. You, you might be super disciplined about your exercise regime to build your muscles, but you're not disciplined at all in a quiet time with the Lord. Anyone relate to that? I can... For some reason, I can find my real passion to be disciplined in that area, but to spend regular time in the, in the Word and with the Lord, uh, not so much. Um, what about some of us are incredibly disciplined at wo- our work life, but when it comes to family, we're a bit of a klutz, just just not that disciplined, not that organized. Um, You might be fantastically disciplined at recreation. Anyone like that? you got your recreation sorted. But serving opportunities, just don't tend to get around to it. Do you know what I'm trying to establish? How's this one? This sounds harsh. You'd never turn up late for work or that thing you're really into. But when the people of God meet to worship... Never seem to get around to turning up on time to worship Jesus. It's a discipline, isn't it? It is a discipline. There's no judgment in that, it's just a statement. Where do we um, find the best version of our disciplined selves? Proverbs 20, verse 4 says this, and this is a poignant proverb Sluggards sluggards do not plough in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. If you want to take away, because you're ready to have a little snooze, just lock that one in your phone. I think that's all you need to take away from this message. That that proverb, it's pithy. Sluggards don't plough in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. There are seasons in life where you've got to be disciplined and you've got to sow, isn't that right? You've got to plough and sow and work the field. And if you don't... Later on, you come to harvest, there's no seed been planted. Anyone had kids in the room? Lots of us have had kids. The experts say you've got train up a child until about eight years old. New studies will tell us different things, I'm sure. But, but I think all of us as parents would agree, those early years, to some point in time, they're pretty important. And some of us come back and... and you know what, it, again, there's not judgment in this, it's just a statement. Maybe you had your priorities all mixed up when your kids were young and then they come into adult years and you think, why aren't you listening to me? I think this proverb has truth, sluggards or the, what, those lacking in wisdom, <clears throat> do not plough in season so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Rather than a judgment on people, I want to just share that as an encouragement to those who maybe have grandkids that are younger and maybe have kids that are younger. Don't miss the opportunity to sow into them. Love them and build them up and give them those words that they need to hear. Um, there's a time to plough and sow and we need to make sure we grab it when we can. Um, this principle of delayed gratification helps us sort through what is the most important thing for me to focus on right now. We have to be wise in what we sow into. Aim high, delayed gratification. And number three, advanced decision-making. Have you found that to be helpful in your life of discipline? Advanced Decision making. Anyone read the book of Proverbs? I think lots of us have, right? Um, Did you notice you get to about chapter five and things start getting somewhat M rated (laughs) in the old ratings? Now it would be 15 plus MA or something. (laughs) They do. They get a bit M-rated. Chapter 5 talks about the wayward woman, and I'm sure it could be the wayward man. It doesn't have to be woman or man, but um, Proverbs refers to the wayward woman. In in chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Advanced decision. I'm not going to go on that side of the street. I'm going to keep far away, because this is wisdom, it'll take discipline because everything in you will want to go to that side of the path and just wander down the wrong, find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, but keep to a path far from her, don't go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. And if you keep reading the story, it says, and all at once, and in that most of us know what that means, all at once, the flesh says, you will die if you don't give in to this desire. And the brain says, you're right, you're right, I need to go. I need to go into this place of sin. And it says, all at once, he went like an ox to the slaughter. All at once. Scripture says, rather than go, I'm so good, I'm so godly, I'm going to wait after temptation and all that to make the decision, Scripture says all the way through, make an advanced decision. Amen? Don't say to yourself, I'm going to be strong later. I'm just going to get a little closer and a little closer to that thing that's tempting me and alluring me that's so enticing. Proverbs says, no, don't do it. Make a decision beforehand. Make a decision in the cool light of day, not in the heat of the moment. Don't trust yourself. Make an advanced decision. You know, this is what Jesus does, our great hero in all of this who was the only one to be perfect in his obedience. Luke chapter 4, the devil comes to him like he came to Adam and Eve, and uh, he tries to tempt Jesus, but Jesus has already made up his mind. He's made an advanced decision. The devil says to Jesus, you're hungry, make stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? He already decided, man doesn't live on bread alone. But every word that comes from the mouth of God, I might have decided that. The devil says, I'll give you the world if you'll worship me now that you're hungry and lonely and tired and vulnerable. And he's already decided, I'm going to worship God, my Father, alone. The devil says, put God to the test, Jesus. Put yourself in a very dangerous situation. And Jesus has made an advanced decision. I will not put the Lord to the test. Advanced decisions. It's no good saying I'm going to decide whether I eat the cake when it's about to go in my mouth, amen? (laughs) I'm going to decide whether it's right to spend that money on something that I desperately want but don't need at the cash register or after I've gone through to the cart to find out what shipping costs. (laughs) When I'm alone with... The person who is not my spouse and it's dark and we have already become sexually aroused, I'm going to decide then whether we will commit sexual immorality. Scripture says, that's really dumb. Really dumb. Or, much less important in a way than that, but still important. I'm going to decide when I wake up on Sunday morning, Hmm, if it's cold and raining, and I'm on a roster to serve, I'm going to decide on the morning of it whether I'll turn up. I don't think many people do that here. <laughs> Again, that's not a judgment. But sometimes we can have that in the back of our mind. I'm going to decide after I've been hurt by somebody whether I'll forgive them for their sin. I'm going to decide whether I'll be generous with my giving this week after I've paid off everything else. Advanced decision-making, the essence of living a a disciplined life, aim high, delayed gratification, advanced decision-making. And and thinking about discipline, this is the last one, And, and, and it's something that often we don't think about, celebration. How do you live a disciplined life? You get really good at celebrating. Wasn't that great today? Celebrating. Um, Leanne, and and, and what Jesus is doing through the kids and youth ministry. Proverbs 17.22, this is about wisdom and discipline. And Proverbs tells us, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 15, All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Discipline is not just gloom and doom. Discipline is about life. God is good. His commands are good. Everything about God is good. He's the giver of every good gift. And he wants his people to do the discipline of celebration. Have you found that that's actually part of discipline? Like Part of celebration is discipline sometimes. Anyone ever turn up to church and life's pretty tough and you don't want to celebrate? God doesn't feel very good. Someone else might have something great going on. You think, oh, to be honest, I feel jealous. I just don't feel good at all. I'm going to be really morbid. You're allowed to be because, you know, we all go through all these emotions. But has anyone discovered that to embrace someone else's good, someone else's blessing sometimes takes discipline? And how much of a blessing that is when the community lives in that space? We discipline ourselves to come in and you know the worship may not be your cup of tea but to raise up your soul and go, I'm going to worship thee no matter what. Whether this is my cup of tea or not, I'm going to worship Jesus because he's worth it. Isn't that the sort of church we want to be? It's a discipline. Celebration is a discipline. Well, we can be sure that um, we don't know what tomorrow will bring But one way to be ready for whatever tomorrow brings us is to decide, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to live a Christian life. That's the aim. I want to live a life that you describe in the Bible called being Christian. I want to live like Jesus. I want to aim high. Who are we we aiming for in the Christian life? There's no prize for the answer. (laughs) His name is Jesus. Jesus Christus. Gloria, Dios, like glory to God, Jesus, we're shooting for him. That's who we're aiming for. And so for me, that's how I want to worship when I turn up to this little school and we're a motley crew. In my heart, I am disciplining my mind to go, I don't care what's going on, even though it was amazing music today. I want to see Jesus on a throne like Stephen saw him at the right hand of God and said, Jesus, you are worthy of my praise this morning, no matter what's going on. You're worthy of our praise. We're aiming high. And we are making advanced decisions and we are delaying gratification and we are celebrating. Anyone struggling with discipline? comes and goes, doesn't it? If you're a human being, your motivation goes up and down and and depression, different levels of depression will come and hit you and we need each other, don't we? We need each other to sort of just to lift our eyes up, see from where our help comes from. Look, it's the Lord. The motivation of living a life that's worth living. Um, Let's keep motivating one another, encouraging one another on, spurring spurring each other on in good deeds um, and to give the glory to God. Lord Jesus, may you receive all the glory from our effort. We've talked about discipline and effort. Um, But we know Ephesians 1, it's the truth. You chose us before the creation of the world. Somehow, mysteriously, you know who you are, are yours, yet you invite us to respond in repentance with free will. Lord, it's all your grace. It's all your initiative. Help us understand the dynamic. Help us be wise as a church. Help us be a church who, who, who love you, Lord Jesus, and love the way of the Master. The way of holiness, the way of light, the way of grace, the way of Christian, the way of the Christian following you. Lord, thank you that we are definitely no longer slaves to our habits We can create new habits by your grace. Amen.